And we are going. Welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to the High Button Podcast. I'm your host, Justin Belanger. Today's episode is brought to you by Generous United. Generous United is a membership-based buying group headquartered right here in Atlantic Canada. Their goal, their mission, what they want to do, they want to make sure that prescription drugs are more affordable so we can all live healthier lives. It doesn't matter if you're saving money in one aspect of healthcare. It could be a massage, acupuncture, it doesn't really matter. As long as you're saving money in one aspect of healthcare, you are able to afford another aspect of healthcare. So, What Generous United will do for you is team up with the pharmacist. We all know what a pharmacist is, the local member of your community who wants to make sure that you're living a healthier life as well. What Generous United will do is team up with that pharmacist and give you a free, attentive, personalized service that will allow you to save money on your prescription drugs. Here's what I want you to do. Head on over to generousunited.ca, that's G-E-N-R-U-S, united.ca, and see if there's anything that they can be doing for you to save money on prescription drugs. doesn't matter if it's you, a loved one, a family member, we can all be benefiting from the services that Generous United is offering. Today's episode is also brought to you by Osprey Ridge Golf Course. 45 minutes to an hour outside the city, a Graham Cook design golf course. Like I said... When I always talk about these Osprey Ridge ads, I always like to bring to the forefront the pride of ownership. Even right now, what is it, October? You still see the pride in ownership when it comes to the green. It's beautiful. The fairways, the greens, the clubhouse, the customer service, the parking lot. Something about pulling up there is just magical. I love playing 18 there. I'm there almost every weekend. I play with my family and friends. We have a great time when you're done playing your 18 holes nine holes head up to the brand new renovated patio grab yourself a couple beers some food and watch people putt off uh, on the 18th hole there it's beautiful you're able to look out over I think three maybe four holes uh, and you can see people play it's absolutely beautiful like I said 45 minutes to an hour outside of the city Osprey Ridge Golf Course get there today get there this week get there before the season is over Welcome back, High Button Podcast. Jays, man, I'm still thinking about the Jays. We almost had them. Let them off the hook. You know, let them off the hook. Almost had them. Um, you know, fantastic season by the Jays. A lot of uh, a lot of exciting baseball. I can't wait for next year to see what they uh, to see what they bring to the table and to see how far they go. I bought. Uh, oh, I shouldn't say I bought. I got a gift as a Vladdy jersey the other day. I'm gonna wear it proudly uh, this winter every now and then, and I can't wait to chuck it on next uh, next summer as the the Jays go for another title. Exciting future uh, for the Toronto Blue Jays organization. So uh, yeah, tough one to swallow last night, but we'll be back. Uh, Today on the High Button Podcast, we have Jeff Johnson. Jeff is a two-time, that's correct, two-time Grey Cup champion, 2004 and 2012 with the Toronto Argonauts. He signed in the CFL in year 2000, went undrafted to the Hamilton Tiger Cats, played one year there. After that, moving on to the Toronto Argonauts in 2002, where he finished his career. Growing up in the Toronto area, he actually played for York University. He... Holds some records there. He was a running back, and he holds the record for most yards rushed, 3,358. And he holds the record for most carries, 553. Also, he was inducted into the York York University Hall of Fame uh, in 2017. So, we are talking to a legend here, and anytime we get to talk to an athlete that uh, played a sport that I never played, 
I find it extremely fascinating. I love asking questions about different sports that I know nothing about. No, not that I don't know anything about football, but uh, the running back position has always been interesting to me. You take the most hits and you have to essentially run from people who are trying to tackle you. Just like life, you're trying to get to a goal and there's people trying to stop you. Uh, nonetheless, I'm excited to talk to Jeff. It's going to be a great episode. I'm Justin. This is the High Button Podcast. Here we go. You know what comes next. And we are going. Jeff, thank you very much for being here this morning. I appreciate it. Yeah, Justin, thanks for having me. Pleasure to be here. How's your Monday morning go, going? Are you a coffee drinker? Did you, are you good to go? Uh, yeah, we'll crush a couple of black coffees. Took a while to get to black, but we're at black now. And uh, <laughs> yeah, we, we, you know, we get the day going. It's a beautiful sunny day here in Halifax. Uh, to be honest, couldn't be a better start to the day. I agree. I Like I said, it took a while to work up the black. Same with me. You start with cream, sugar, and then you slowly work your way up the black. I love it. I was actually at like a nine sugar sort of thing. It was a, oh. bit, it was a bit, a little extreme. It was a little extreme. Oh. I had a roommate back in uh, Hamilton. Randy Bowles was his name. Okay. Big fullback, about 250 pounds, monster. And uh, he would crush the coffee every morning. I'm like, dude, how do you do this? Right? And I was not into coffee. Right? We would go by Tim Hortons every morning. And... Um, yeah. Anyways, uh, long story short, I thought, you know, I'm going to try this one day. Tried it. Awful. I'm like, how do you do this? This is terrible. I mean, I didn't have nine. I was about four or five sugars, right? And um, and then uh, I realized that, you know what, As obviously this is not good. I can't continue with this much sugar, right? It, what is it doing to my body? And uh, anyway, so yeah, I peeled it back, eventually went cold turkey on the black about a year ago. And yeah, it's good. <laughs> Did you drink coffee in your playing days? Did you drink, in the playing days, you, you yeah. drink coffee? Yeah, yeah, a little bit. You know what? I didn't do a lot then. I would maybe have one, right? Like so pre- I have... No, just in the mornings, you know, pregame. No, I wasn't into too much stuff. You know, pregame, I had my, you know, my breakfast was nice and clean, lots of fruits and vegetables, some proteins. And, um, you know, yeah, maybe I'd have a coffee in the morning, but I, that was it. Wanted to start the day and, you know, kind of on from there. Awesome. Yeah. Well, like yeah. I said, man, it's great to have you here. I'm glad you're caffeinated. I'm, I'm ready to talk yes, to you. I, yes. I always enjoy talking. To, I, myself, I grew up a hockey guy, a lacrosse guy, and yeah. I have so much fashion, uh, fascination in the world of sport, uh, especially sports that I never played growing up. I love uh, the culture of hockey inside the dressing yes. room. I love the culture of lacrosse. All good? Um, and whenever I have a guest on here that plays a different sport, I, I, I love picking, uh, picking their brain. Awesome. So I am pumped to have you here. And, uh, like I said, thanks love again. It. Um, yeah, thank you. What, what was it like? You grew up in Toronto, correct? Yeah. I grew up in Toronto, the West end, uh, the city, an area called Etobicoke. Uh, say that again. Etobicoke. Etobicoke. Yeah. So some would pronounce it Etobicoke. Okay. Some would, my, my first pronunciation was Etobicoke. <laughs> <laughs> what, okay. All right. Etobicoke. It's one of those weird words, right? And, uh, anyways, yeah, Etobicoke and uh, a little pocket in Etobicoke called Mimico. Okay. Brendan Shanahan's actually from there. And um, you know what? It's actually the home of like lacrosse in, in Southern Ontario as well. And uh, funny enough, I never ended up playing lacrosse at all. Just whatever, for you know, whatever reason didn't happen. Was always playing the sports in school. And um, yeah, you know, kind of more of a hockey player, to be honest. As I actually, when I was a younger kid, I was a hockey player and a soccer player, right? Played uh, a whole bunch of sports. And, uh, you know, the journey eventually steered towards football, which I can get into uh, in a little bit too. But, yeah, ended up playing football, obviously, and, and things took quite the turn at that point. <laughs> What's it like growing up in uh, Ontario in the 80s? What, what was it like back then? Yeah, you know, it, uh, a lot of outdoors play. You know, I was actually telling my kids the other day, my mornings consisted of racing to school at about 7.30, 8 o'clock. School started at, you know, 8.45, 9.00, but I'd get there an hour before. We'd play basketball for at least an hour before school. Right, we'd run outside at lunch. I'd run home, crush a little quick little Chef Boyardee or something like that, have a PB and J sandwich, run back to school, 
hit basketball for another 20 minutes before we went back into school. And then I'd play basketball till the sun went down. Right. And that was, that was my days. Right. And, uh, if I had an activity after school, which didn't start until I was about 13 or 14, did, we didn't have much money. So I, you know, we were, I wasn't doing too much extracurriculars, but, um, you know, we'd go to the hockey practice or that kind of thing when I got a bit older. So oh, wow. yeah, yeah. Were yeah. On, but it was great. Were you on the ponds at all in the winter? Skating? Uh, I wish, I wish. We were right in an area, Mimico, where there wasn't a lot of access to outdoor rinks. Okay. I mean, there was, I want to say there was actually a couple of frozen, uh, uh, the city did maintain some rinks on some local tennis courts, right? So there would just be the chain link fence and then, and then the ice. And so my parents would drive up there and drop us off, but there wasn't anything right in my local area. So unfortunately didn't get on the ponds, but I'm, I, I'm telling you, I grew up wishing, bugging my parents every year, can we put a rink in the backyard? Dad, he was had no part of it, but <laughs> <laughs> did your dad play hockey or anything? I'm no, assuming no, no, no. We didn't have a lot of hockey in the house, unfortunately. Yeah. And uh, but I, I grew up loving it and watching it. You know, Wayne Gretzky. I was a fanatic. How far Wayne is Brampton Gretzky from? Fan. Not far, no. not far. Yeah, or, yeah. Actually, Brantford, right? Brantford, yeah, sorry, Brantford. Sorry. That's okay. And uh, probably thirty minutes away, thirty-five minutes from from where we, you know, grew up. Wow. Uh, the home of Wayne Gretzky, and I mean, we didn't, I didn't really know where it was until I got, you know, into my 20s and, and you know, started driving myself and around the community, uh, but, uh, you know, I was, yeah, crazy Wayne Gretzky fan. My uncle, who is a, you know, bananas hockey fan, loved the Montreal Canadiens, right? So all day long, he would go on and on about Guy Lafleur this, Guy Lafleur that, and Wayne Gretzky's garbage and trash, and I would just lose my mind, right? And I was a really kind of black and white kid in terms of, you know, right and wrong, right? I'm like, what are you talking about? He's the best ever. <laughs> and he would just dig and dig and dig. And then I would, of course, kind of go a little bit postal at some point. But that was right around when I was, I don't know, eight, nine, ten years old. And yeah, and then I became a big Eric Lindros fan. I had 88 in my head when I was playing hockey, kind of, you know, shaved into the side of my head. <laughs> <laughs> no, you didn't, did yeah. you? <laughs> Not a lot of people know that. Actually, I was just chatting the other day. I saw a kid with a number. I was like, oh, what? Jeez, I used to, I forgot about that. I had Eric Lindros. <laughs> That's hilarious. My hair. <laughs> That's amazing. But, uh, but yeah, that's kind of where I grew up and um, played a lot of soccer as well, right? Uh, yeah, a bit of club soccer, and and then uh, and then as we rolled into high school, played soccer, basketball, and actually one day I was uh, trying out for the volleyball team, right? And uh, I was in the weight room before volleyball practice, and one of the senior guys in the football team walks by, and he's like, "Man, you're lifting a lot of weight." And I was like, well, you, "Really? Is that that's a lot of weight?" And he's like, "Yeah, that's a lot of weight." He's like, "Why don't you come play out for try out for the football team?" I was like, "Well, I'm trying out for volleyball." He's like, "Well." All right, well, we could use you on the football team, right? And uh, then after school, this is grade 12, second last year of high school. So then I'm down at my locker, right, at the end of the day, and my buddy Darren Errol is grabbing his equipment. Like, you're going to the football team? He's like, yeah. I'm like, oh, hey, man, you know what? I'll come with you. So I go and try out for the football team. First week, the running back uh, tweaks his ankle, and um, Coach Spencer says, like, hey, Jeff, we want you to play running back. I'm like, what? You want me to play running back two weeks? I don't know what I'm doing. He's like, ah, oh, we're just going to do a dive. We'll do off tackle. We'll do a sweep. And um, I said, really? And he's like, yeah, I didn't sleep for four days leading into the game. I was so terrified, right? Like I, guys are coming at you, trying to tear your head off. Just not what I was used to playing soccer, playing hockey. Sure, I liked hitting guys on the, on, the, on the ice. I mean, that was a lot of fun, but it was different, right? Like you're carrying the football, everyone's coming in on you. And uh, anyways, I ended up getting five touchdowns that first game and just running, scared out of my mind. Right. And <laughs> that was like, whoop, the table flipped for me. And um, yeah, everything around me started to change. And uh, I just saw that, you know what, when I was, yeah, I learned a ton about myself in the process of it, getting into the game of football because I actually had a lot of fear for a number of years. 
So I learned I need to be pushed out of my comfort zone to get the best out of me. And it was a really interesting kind of, you know, yeah, hey, this is Jeff kind of uh, wow. opportunity. <laughs> That's incredible. Were you, were you yeah. like, as you walked up the driveway today and I shook your hand, you're, you're, you're thick. You're, yes, you're, yes. You're, was it always, like you said you're a big fan of Lindros. I think same yeah. thing, big guy. Yes. Were you always uh, built this way naturally or did this yeah. come with the gym after? No, you know what? I, uh, well, I guess the first time I started to get into the gym, I was pretty strong. You know, I was always waiting for that growth spurt when I was a kid, right? Like yeah. grade, grade nine, grade 10, I was just a little guy. And um, I, you know, was a late bloomer, they call it, right? Yeah. So grade nine, grade 10, you know, not a whisker under my armpits, right? And uh, finally, hit about a grade 11. I gained like 20 pounds one summer. I went from 140 to 165 pounds, and I was just swimming every day. And I just, you know, all of a sudden filled out, was eating like a horse, and, yeah. you know, over three, four months, filled out. Um, and then that was grade 11, started to get a little more active and physical in my activities at that point. And then when I started to get into weights, I just naturally was into it. And, you know, was lifting, I don't, I don't remember how much weight, but quite a bit of weight from the first time I started doing, you know, learning about bench press and squats. And, um, and then it did come natural, to be honest. I mean, I, I did work at it. I liked the feeling that I would get from, from lifting and, and training. Love that kind of heightened sense of awareness I got from it. And then uh, just continued to push it, right? And as I got into university, I was always one of the stronger guys on the team, one of the faster guys, a little more explosive. And I think just naturally I had that kind of muscle fiber um, kind of makeup yeah. that was more conducive to, to heavy lifting. And, um, so now I'm kind of battling that, to be honest, I'm trying to keep the weight down. Right. So I'll, I'll work out and still lift. Right. But I have to really kind of complement or supplement it with uh, a lot of cardiovascular activity so that I don't gain too much muscle. In grade 12, <laughs> when you first got recruited, how was your cardio? Because yeah. I'm thinking of what, what you said, you were just playing volleyball? My cardio was actually pretty good because of soccer, okay. you know, hockey. And so I had pretty good conditioning. I, I mean, I would have been probably 165 pounds, you know. Grade 12? In grade 12, 170 pounds in grade 12, right? And I would have been 5'8", five, 5'9". Five, so you're still right? thick. Yeah, yeah, oh yeah, I you're... was a good size. And, uh, it, you know, so the measurements didn't actually get start to begin, you know, obviously being taken until I got into university. So when we started doing that, I was, you know, I had, uh, I ran probably a, I don't know what I was in my first year, but by the end of university, I was running a four five speed, right? I had about a 39 inch vertical, right? And I had, uh, you know, a big broad jump, right? Which that, you know, the, the horizontal jump, I, um, at the CFL combine had a score that nobody passed for over 10 years. No like way. It, yeah. So it was super explosive naturally. My thing with, I remember my first training camp, uh, you know, in Hamilton and, course scared of your mind you're going into training camp and and uh, i had a couple of runs early on and mike o'shea actually came up to me in the locker he's the head coach in, in winnipeg now and cfl legend he came up to me in the, in the in the locker room after and he said kid well keep it up because you're looking good and he's like well yeah i said well thank you mr mr o'shea and um you know anything particular that you're referencing he's like yeah i've never seen i haven't played against too many guys that when they got the ball in their hands were at my level as fast as you were. So it was very surprising. He's like, you've got crazy explosiveness, so keep working on that and keep keep going because you could, you know, get some good opportunity in this league sort of thing. And I was like, oh, wow. So, you know, it was nice to get, you know, kind of a little, little bit of boost and from, from a leader like that. And uh, But, yeah, I naturally had an explosive kind of body, a little more power, speed. That's just naturally kind of how I was built. And, nice. Um, yeah, and then the conditioning side, uh, you know, I, I enjoyed that as well because of the, you know, the mental clarity you get of, of kind of how you feel after those periods wow. of exercise. So, yeah. The first touchdown you yeah. ever got in high school, do you remember the feeling? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I was probably sh relieved that I got by everybody, right? Really? You're relieved? Because, oh, yeah, you're talking about the fear. Fear, man. I was, uh, you know, I literally wouldn't sleep the night before. I would have so much anxiety, butterflies in my belly. 
you know, wouldn't, you know, a little bit of diarrhea, <laughs> the whole deal, right? Like it, it wasn't good, right? And <laughs> right, and I mean, then I'd get out there, and uh, everybody's looking at you. You're the center of attention, right? Even it, if you haven't played you know? a game yet, everyone's still looking at you. Yeah, you're, yeah. You're, you're still, mean, all of a sudden, you're carrying the ball. Everybody's relying on you. It was just so different from the other sports that I had played. How so? Right, like, uh, you know, being the ball carrier. You drop the ball, you fumble the ball, you let your team down, right? And and everybody's just so dependent on you to do your job. So as the ball carrier, your job is to advance the ball, right? As the offensive lineman, your job is to block that guy. And if you don't do your job, the whole play is going to be disrupted. So the the the, the individual roles of every person in those twelve out of those twelve guys is so important to execute the play for the play to be successful, right? There's such a high level of accountability. Um, you know, whether it's in the moment or you watch the film afterwards and you, and you look at every single play and you break it down and they're like, what were you doing on this play? Or what were you doing on that play? So everything gets picked apart and reviewed. And so there was just that, it was just different. You know, all of a sudden here I was carrying the ball and the team was relying on me to make these plays. That's a lot of pressure for someone that didn't come from that, you know, what just wasn't used to it. Yeah. Right. And so I think the first, those early on touchdowns were like, Oh man. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, success. I'm, uh, helping the team advance the ball, helping the team win. And, um, yeah, it, uh, it, it was something that I was incredibly grateful for. And next thing you know, I was plastered across every newspaper in Toronto. They're like, who's this kid? Right. And I was getting scouts were coming in and there was all this attention that I was getting. And I was a very quiet kid, right? I, I was not loud. You know, I, I do interviews and stuff now. I stand on stages and talk to people and kids and, uh, you know, was on the radio for four years, but I was, deathly afraid of anything related to public appearance I didn't you know I didn't have huge groups of friends I had some couple key friends and that kind of thing but anyways it just there was all this attention just was very different for me and it was conflicting messaging because and what I mean by that is I had all this fear to play the game and yet all this validation on wow you're a star right so I had this like you know part of me didn't want to kind of wanted to quit I was like you know I don't know if I take this all the time there's so much fear I'm afraid yeah. but then I kept having crazy success and so I just you know obviously kept pushing through it and then when I got into university there was a different layer of it and um pressure and that kind of thing but yeah the scoring I mean the moments of that the feeling of it was uh you know it it, it doesn't happen often so when you would score the touchdowns you know and your team comes running down and they all you know yeah yeah hug you and feel you, you know you get that that attention for that moment is it, it they're, they're nice moments in time yeah. That's wicked. That's, yeah. I love hearing stories like that. The first time you found success in the sport that you made a career out of, I, I yeah. love those stories. Yeah. That's unbelievable. Yeah. How much, throughout your career, even in the CFL, university, high school, um, how much of a relationship do you need to have with, uh, I guess, the O-line, the people that are blocking holes yes, for you to yes. make sure to get through? I've heard stories about guys that like <laughs> will buy dinners for the O-line that will do certain things oh, because man. they're making you yes. look good in, yes. in a way. So I, I just want to know like a relationship with a running back and, and, a, yes. and an O-line member. Oh, man, it's the most important. Uh, everybody on the team is important, but the offensive line is just it's things don't happen if the offensive line is not doing their job and they get zero attention they're the, they're the guys that uh you know they, they they get no glory and yet your success as a running back even as a receiver as a quarterback all is completely predicated on your offensive linemen doing their job right and they get nothing in the media people make fun of them all oh, at the size of these guys sometimes and you know meanwhile you know so that relationship is so critical Right, the offensive linemen tended to be a very tight group. Right, they they uh, you know they would uh, just I don't know just a different temperament. They had to be great communicators amongst each other. 
They tended to be highly intelligent. They have to read the play under high stress moments and they have to talk to each other. And right. So what I mean by that is, you know, they get down, there's a specific play called, let's say it's a running play and it's off to the right. Right. Um, they going into the down and distance, there's an expectation that the defense is going to line up a certain way on that play. If the defense is lined up differently, now the offensive line may have to communicate and change their tactic on, on how they're going to block it, right? So maybe you've got a center and a guard that have to double team off of a, a nose tackle that's across from them, where previously, you know, maybe they have thought one guy might be a single block. Now there has to be a double tandem up to the linebacker. So they need to be communicating all these little nuances, you know, and they're calling, Mike, 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 the Mike linebacker, the will, will, will. And they got to make sure everybody hears the communication. I was going to say, how are you here? How do you right? know that they're changing? Yeah. So You're... for something like that, I necessarily wouldn't need to know it. I should see it. Yeah. As soon as we line up, I should see the how the formation of the defense is lined up. And I know, okay, based on that structure, I know the scenario of the blocking that should develop from it. Right. And so this is where everyone needs to be on the same page. So the relationships that you have are so critical because, you know, you're you're in the you know, I was actually talking to the kids the other day. I said, listen, sport when you're young is all about the physical. Right. Um, For the first, you know, my kids are at U13 and U11. I said, it's all about physical now. I said, right now, your second year U13. Now this is when the game starts to transition to the mental side. Right. You You start to study it more. You start to understand the flow of the game. Football at the at, you know in the pro level it was seventy percent mental thirty percent physical like I mean you're studying probably two to three times more than you're actually doing physical stuff on the field you're evaluating the play you're 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 studying your opponent that you're playing against and you know so the mental aspect of it is so critical especially from the offensive lineman perspective it's huge they they need to understand all these different positions that the you know the defense could be lined up in and and their communication needs to be down pat needs to be loud sometimes if there's something that they're changing on a pass protection then they need to actually turn back and they'll yell at the quarterback or they'll yell at the running back that their assignments are changing and now which means my assignment might change on yeah. who I'm blocking on the pass protection right so that communication is so critical because if it's if you don't get it guess what the play's busted right and that's just unacceptable, right? And so you want to make sure the communication, because all it takes is communication. Just, hey, let's talk about it. And then we're all on the same page. Then you've got that much better chance of, of you know, winning that play, which could either be a first down, maybe you're going to score. But, you know, every moment in that game is of critical importance. And so, yeah, it all adds up, obviously, to the end, of the, the end result of the game. Wow. Yeah. That's incredible. And I could imagine you can go on this topic for hours and the fact that you just kind of explained it that in a couple of minutes. That's incredible. That is <laughs> yeah. crazy. Yeah, it's, it, there's so much detail. Yeah, I'm really it, passionate about it, and, and it is. It, a lot of people don't understand it, right? And they're like, what? All that stuff's going on? Right? And we don't even want to get in what to the stuff that the quarterback's thinking about or what the receivers are having to read and the details that are in behind it. Um, but that was the biggest surprise to me in football compared to the other sports was the number of details across the board that each position needs to learn. Right. And, and, you know, and, and yeah, anyways, there's just a lot of detail in there. Yeah. Um, you said the, in, did you say the pro game, pro game, it's 70% mental, 30% physical. Yeah. You just said something like that. That's right. So at the university level, did you find yeah. it a different percentage? Was it more physical? Just go, go, go. Cause maybe the players weren't as skilled in the CFL. Yeah. Did, how, how did you find the, the, at the university level? Cause it pretty sure you have a record for the most running yards and that's right. York University history and the most yeah. carries. Yes, yes. So what was your key to success in that mm-hmm, aspect mm-hmm. of uh, level of play? What, what do you think it was? Well, I'd say the university environment, because you have so much other stuff going on. You're in school. You're there for number one. It's all about academics. Most right? underrated thing, by the way. Like student athletes, they're incredible athletes, but the fact that they're able to manage a school. Oh, it's a ton. 
right? It's, it's a ton of work. And uh, so that's the biggest difference there is that, you know what, when you're a pro, you're a pro. And so, you, you know, in the CFL, there's a four and a half hour limit rule where the team can have you for four and a half hours, two hours on the field, two and a half hours is usually in the film room. Mm-hmm. But you, you know, as a professional, you take it upon yourself to take whatever you need, extra time, usually watching film and study. You take all the video back, right, and kind of just break it all down. In university, that's usually locked in. The film time is usually locked into the t- time that you spend with the group, with the team, because you've got to go study for, you know, kinesiology or, you know, your calculus or, you know, biomechanics, or you need to get your study work, you know, work mm. in, obviously. And you have to. You can't right? just say No, not, yeah. you can't. And um, so you've got that balance that you have to navigate and I think the university time frame I mean and that's great it's all about teaching you life skills right preparing you for (laughs) multitasking and having to balance all of these things of you know like my crazy life right now with you know you've got work and you know take care of yourself take care of your kids and get them to all their activities and you know maintain a relationship with your friends and your family and all of those things and so university I think Kids that can, you know, have the opportunity to participate in activities as well at the same time, whether in college or university, is just such a tremendous, you know, kind of, uh, I think, platform to catapulting them to the next phase of their life. Yeah. Well said. Um, Did you, like I said, did you find it more natural in in university to rush for all those yards? You know what? Going into it, did I think it was going to be like that? No. I remember thinking back when I was making the decision which school I wanted to go to, right? I had to stay within the Toronto area. Uh, you know, the budget was a, a bit of a restriction in terms of family-wise and being able to go elsewhere. But So I was looking at Toronto. I was looking at either U of T or U, York University. Um, the reason I ended up chose, choosing York is they had a fantastic kinesiology program. So that was the number one reason I went there. Great kin program. Not only that, there was an opportunity to play, to, to not start, but to become a starter in a much earlier time frame. The program had just gone through a major change. I want to say, so, you know, 96 was my first year. In 95, they broke a, an old, a, like a, lo- a, ba- a bad losing streak. The, like, the Yeoman, back then they were the York Yeoman, today they're the York Lions. Uh, they went 0-47 from 90, 91, 92, 90. I mean, yeah, there was a, a bad spell there. In 95, they broke the spell. They had a couple of fantastic athletes there. Uh, and then my first year was 96. And so this, the selling point for Tom Arnott was, hey, listen, we're turning this program around. You can come, be a part of that turn, and there's a good chance that you're going to get a chance to play early on versus the bigger programs. Um, U of T maybe would have been halfway through, but the other programs, you know, you'd be looking at maybe in your third or fourth year, you'd actually get an opportunity to play, right? And I thought, you know what? It's a win-win. I get to, you know, kinesiology, one of the top programs in Ontario, and and you get to play football, you know, hopefully in that first year, if not the second year. And I was lucky to get in in my my first game, um, second half of the first game i think it was the tail end of some hurricane was blowing through toronto um back in 96 and uh yeah i had had a great second half of the game and i en- ended up taking the starting role from from that point on no way yeah. what yeah. was your record that first year i think we went 6 and 2 or that might no have been way. the second year 5 and 3 i think we were 5 and 3 yeah so yeah. sorry the year before you got there, they were losing how many games in a row? Fifty games in a row. They went zero and forty-seven. So then the year before I got there, they actually went three and five, I believe. So they started. They they, they got their started first the win. turnaround. They okay. started the turnaround. Then my opportunity was ninety-six. I mean, there was a number of great athletes then. Just kind of during that window, there was a guy Andre Batson ended up playing a couple of years in the CFL as well. Receiver, phenomenal athlete. George Safimus had some opportunities in the CFL linebacker. Um, and then yeah, so my my first year we were five and three. 
uh, ended up winning like the you know U Sports kind of Rookie of the Year award. Um, you know, but again, it was it was only my third year of football, but it was a case of crazy you know, and like I talk that. to kids all the time about this. I was afraid, obviously, that's an element of fear. So you know, that was incredibly motivating for me. But it really comes down to my engagement level was through the roof, right? Because I I had to be good, right? I had to I had you know I was getting the ball, and uh, you know going in my first university, I a lot of the guys looked at me and said, "Hey kid, you've got big shoes to fill coming in behind Leonard Jean Pierre, who ended up going to the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, and was a big part of that, you know, when they got those first wins in '95, and um, and so you know that opportunity for me to come in in '96 and and be a part of that, it, it, there just was like, hey, it's a you have a big load. Right. And so I had to, uh, again, was highly engaged in the study of the game, all of the details I was learning. So I was like, I think my learning curve was probably extremely high during that time frame. And I ended up, uh, you know, being highly engaged in the game throughout those four years and for sure would have been part of the, the reason why I got an opportunity in the CFL. Right. So, I, I mean, I'm a big believer in the engagement level of whoever it is, whatever you're trying to learn will for sure determine the pace and the rate at which you're going to actually uptake that activity. So, right, you know. It's time for a quick timeout brought to you by Crypto Vantage. Did you know that teams like the Dallas Mavericks and the Oakland A's are allowing their fans to buy tickets using cryptocurrency? High Button Sports and Crypto Vantage want to give you $1,500 to invest into your own cryptocurrency. For more information, head on over to our link in bio and our Instagram page, Click the link, then click the other link that says win $1,500 to invest in your own cryptocurrency with CryptoVantage. High Button Sports and CryptoVantage want to make sure that you are learning everything that you need to know about the cryptocurrency world. Now, back to the podcast. What do you yeah. mean by engagement level? Engagement level of what? Like yeah, the playbook, the, the individual, just the individual. Like, how focused are you? Are you tuned into the coach? Are you listening oh, to the details? Okay, okay. You know what I mean? Like, you know, and effort level. Obviously, effort's always high, but how much are you paying attention? Are you putting in a little extra time? Are you thinking about these things? And um, I was so engaged in in the materials that were coming across, like studying the playbook, right? I was engaged in you know watching the film. I was engaged in when there was coaches' feedback. I remembered everything, right? And it's because I was just so focused on it. And part of it was I was motivated by the pressure of the group around me, right? Hey, kid, you got big shoes to fill. I was scared out of my mind every time I got the football, right? I didn't want to get my head torn off. And, you know, I, I was, because of that, I was running like a maniac, right? <laughs> it's so simple. Right? Like, yeah, it's, it's so simple. I mean, yeah. the, my nickname was Crazy Legs, right? There was, uh, or, or I mean, uh, uh, the, the radio announcer called me Jeff the Energizer Johnson because I just keep on going, right? But well, like what a nickname. other linebackers would call me Crazy Legs because my legs were just all over the place, right? And they, just scrambling it. You know, it's, uh, yeah, anyways, it's just interesting how all these different components came at one time. And, you know, I'm, I'm very grateful for it because who knows where, you know, it, it just, it changed, ended up changing my life and pulling it into the direction that, uh, you know, I'm very fortunate to be in now. That's, uh, that's, yeah. that's so cool. I, it's crazy how in your third year you were in that position of football. Yeah. It's on, like, studying a playbook, it came natural to you. Apparently it, it doesn't come natural to a lot of guys studying playbooks and hypothetical yes. situations. Yes. Why do you think it came so natural to you? Well, it wasn't, uh, <laughs> it, there's a lot of stuff in a playbook, right? It's not, not necessarily something that I was, yeah, Hey, I want to just dive into this. Um, I just knew that, uh, I didn't like making mistakes. I got pressure again of your teammates all around you. I just wanted to be successful, yeah. right? I was, you know, uh, 
you know, when I was younger playing soccer and hockey and basketball, I was motivated. Um, uh, I wasn't highly motivated when I was a younger kid, right? And my, you know, my parents were there to support at every game. Um, but they weren't yelling, Hey, you could probably put more effort in. Right. And, you know, I, I, those were games you could kind of almost cruise through, right. You could put in 50% effort and, you know, yeah, it was fun. Right. And then, or you could turn it on. And when I turned it on, I was a great player. Right. And then football, that's a game that if you went at 50%, you're going to get your head knocked off. Right. And so I learned that I need to be full bore in whatever I'm doing and I'm going to get the success that I can get out of this. And so studying, the game and studying the playbook all came as part of it, right? If I was going to cool. be successful, I had to study this. I had to learn the materials um, so that I knew what I was doing. It starts with knowing what you're doing. And, and in football, it's all about your alignment. You know, was, I think there was you know, a couple of sayings. There was assignment, alignment, you know, and kind of go sort of thing, right? So when you line up, there's a lot of little things you're thinking about on each play. Um, the first thing is your alignment, right? And what's my assignment? Right, so are my feet in the right place? Am I seven yards behind the line of scrimmage? Are my toes lined up? Are they even? Okay, what's my assignment? Well, I'm going off tackle, so my right foot needs to step on a 45 degree right at the right, you know, guard's cheek, right? And like all of these little details, right? And then and seeing, okay, when I do that, and when the ball snaps, I know that the the center and the guard are going to do a tandem block up to the tackle. The tackle's going to go up to the, the you know the, the outside linebacker. I know that the, f- the the free linebacker to the left is going to be, or there's a linebacker to the left weak side who's going to be free on the play. So I need to sell the run like I'm going in one way, so he gets caught in behind and then opens up the back door, right? So all these little details you're thinking about. So there's the alignment, the assignment, and then you get to the point where you're not thinking about those things. It's just natural and you don't have to consciously go wait a minute geez okay i got my feet lined up i'm in the right spot snap there's the ball oh and now i'm a step behind and then you get smashed and you're on the ground and you you know you messed up the play (laughs) right so ideally through study right and practice and mental mental reps and that was a big part of it that all all those pieces together help you get to the point where you're not thinking but it all becomes natural right and um you know i think the mental reps is a huge part of it because you know you've got I was one running back. There's two, three, four running backs. So you only take, you know, half the reps if I was lucky. So then the other guys are doing the other repetitions. So something I learned in the pros is, uh, and even when I got fewer reps, is that when those other guys are in, I was back there. I was the guy standing there pretending to line up even though I wasn't in the play. And so when the ball would snap, I'd take a step and mentally go through every single play. So then when I was in there, I actually got, you know, 25 reps versus the, because I did 15 of them in my head. Right. And, and the other 20, you know, anyway, so that's incredible. It's, it's just so important. And for sure, things like that were a, a big element of why I got to play for 14 years in the CFL and, you know, know all these different positions and roles on our offense and you know, where you've got a limited size roster. And sometimes you have to get thrown into different scenarios. And, um, and all of a sudden, if you can go into a scenario and deliver on, you know, on some plays, all of a sudden the team's like, whoa, wait a minute, this guy's got a lot of value. So that's kind of how I ended up you know, my role ended up being the utility guy on the yeah. in, in the CFL. So. I, I apologize. I haven't asked any questions about the CFL yet. I know you're no, wearing those no. two rings. I, I've, don't get me wrong. I have tons of questions about that side of the yes, game. I yes. do, but I love the process of getting there. So yes. we'll, we'll get to that. Yeah, um, yeah. Turf or AstroTurf, or not turf, AstroTurf or, or, or field? Field turf. Field and, and uh, yes. the cleats. You like metal, plastic cleats. How do you like your cleats? Man, yeah, all the different surfaces. Like thinking back to high school, it was like running on a cow pasture compared to how I, you know, the fields that I ended up playing on, right? Yeah. Uh, I loved grass though. Absolutely loved the grass okay. surface. Um, the give in the grass, you know, I could make some crazy cut moves, right? As long as the surface was uh, not wet, right? And um, 
you know, yeah, love playing on grass. Actually, there was in my last year of high school, we had some terrible weather games. So we ended up we surprised in my so uh, in nineteen ninety five we surprised a number of uh, you know bigger programs in the in the local kind of GTA, and we beat a school called the Northern Red Knights. Like they were the number one team in the city by far. They'd go down to the states and travel around. You know they had like ten coaches on the sidelines. We had one, right? And, and you know we had guys going both ways and. We ended up playing in a torrential downpour in North York at the North York Football Stadium there in um, North York Centennial on Stadium. On real grass? On real grass. So it was a mutter. There, but there wasn't a blade of grass on the field. It was so wet and so muddy. It was like literally a, a giant lake. How do you see the right? lines? You, you couldn't see the lines. So there was like people standing on the sides. Could, the refs had them lined up and to try and navigate all of that. <laughs> and they had like, you know, using different markers. And it was just crazy. Um, but that game... I ended up getting this name that this is the best, you know, the, the radio guy said this, one of the best running backs we've ever seen in bad weather, right? And and it's really, I had good feet. I was able to keep my feet underneath me and, and you know, other guys were sliding by, yeah. right? And I could still change direction and all that kind of crazy weather. And I remember the first, the first carry of the game, it was a sweep. I went around the right side. The ball slipped behind my back. Oh, because okay. he tossed it to you? He tossed yeah, it. Yeah. I caught it. I was running. Got about three, four strides with the ball in the right spot. And then it somehow slipped behind my back. But I was running, holding the ball on my back. Right? <laughs> <laughs> I still remember this vividly. And the yeah. linebackers are all scraping. They were coming hard. And I was still going full speed. And I slid the ball. And I continued it right around. And I got it back around to the front of my body. And then I got hit. And I went flying. And I swear I landed in three feet of water. So, oh! And it would have been two or three degrees outside. It was freezing. And uh, and that was like, whoa, here we are, oh. right? We're going right. First and, play uh, of the game. First play of the game, oh. and uh, we ended up beating them seven nothing or eight nothing. Like we had one touchdown, and it was a fluke play. <laughs> you know, they uh, whatever the ball was snapped. I, t- I took took a quick handoff, flew right through the line. Linebackers didn't even react. Ran fifty yards. It was we got one play. Wow. Right, but they were a throwing team, and yeah. because of the weather, they couldn't throw the ball. I thought it would be a good thing as a quarterback to have a slippery line trying to get you. You could yeah. throw, but yeah. I guess he can't grip it. He couldn't grip it. Yeah, he couldn't grip it. it either. Yeah. Couldn't grip it. Yeah, couldn't catch it. I mean, they didn't have the gloves like you know back in the. Now they got the crazy. You know, they're using leather gloves for wet scenarios or in the dry scenarios. Oh. The gloves are like you know Odell Beckham. It, they're crazy sticky, right? And uh, so they didn't have those back in, in you know '95. I mean, they had the leather ones, but in high school, you know, whatever. Anyways, the conditions were crazy because yeah. the quarterback couldn't throw and. Um, so anyhow, and then there was uh, the next game, the week after against St. Mike's, they ended up beating us, but we had like six inches of snow on the field, right? In that first, the first half, I had about 150 yards rushing in the first half. Second half, I had nothing, right? But because of that, they just locked down defensively in. But again, crazy weather, right? And uh, so those were fields, that was grass, and getting back to your question. And then when I got to the CFL, our university was all grass as well. And then when I got to the CFL, there was AstroTurf, right? So at the Rogers Center, it was this old school AstroTurf with like a basically a carpet on top of concrete. Horrible, horrible surface to be playing on. And a lot of the fields were like that across the CFL. Edmonton was the only grass surface. The rest of them were that AstroTurf. So you'd get tackled on it. You'd hit the ground running, you know, you're running 4-7. You hit the ground and it would literally just peel a layer of skin right off of you. Ugh. It was, yeah, pretty nasty. So you had to wear sleeves or you had your arm, you know, layers of different types of tape on your arms and... Anyhow, and then they got this this great stuff called field turf, which I want to say that came in around yeah, right when I was you know in my, in the middle of my career. So they started to bring in the field turf 2004, 5, 6, 7, 8. And this was interesting because when it first came out, 
they were trying to get it right. Like, what is the depth of the rubber? And there was all these different things. And the only reason I'm going into this detail is because I ended up breaking my leg in a surface where the cleats were a little too long. And I was, you know, blocking a guy against the Winnipeg Blue Bombers, got hit in the back of the legs. My foot didn't give and my leg moved medially. And so everything in my lower ankle and leg broke and everything tore. And it was either that or my ACL, right? Or the knee would have gone. So it's kind of a good break. It ended up being, uh, you know, probably the better case of the two. And um, that was halfway through. Ended up playing a few more, you know, seven more years after that. But that was, I believe, the turf played a role in it. Right. And, but then they started to continue jet. There was a number of similar types of leg breaks at that's in those two, three years, there was probably a dozen or more in the CFL and in the NFL. And then they started to adjust the cleats because they had to get the, they had to change the cleat style with the field turf and the field turf. So it was all going through these little changes and Mm. different things. And anyhow, field turf for sure. Back to your question. It's a great surface. Love playing on field turf. It's fast. The footing's good. And, you know, now that they, you know, it took them a little while to get all the little details and the depths of the cleats and those kinds of mm-hmm. things. But, uh, yeah, no, it's, I think, an ideal surface for sure. You could probably stop quicker on grass too. Stop on a dime, look at your peripheral, go right, go left. On the field turf, on the yeah. Field. On yeah. the field turf, yeah. And even uh, when it's wet, you still have a bit of grip, yeah. right? It, the only time it gets tough is when it freezes. <laughs> and so we played in some crazy games out in Edmonton. Canada. On those types of surfaces in Saskatchewan where, you know, you and in that case, you're pulling out the old seven studs where you get the long cleat, right? And uh, like a half inch stud on it so that you have more grip in the, you know, in the frozen surface. But uh, yeah. otherwise the field turf solid. Yeah. Jeez. All good. Mm-hmm. Um, I, w- I wanted to talk about your peripherals. Do you, do you work on anything? I don't know if this is a good question or not, but I, I sometimes I see guys that play football work on their peripherals. Do you, have you ever, is there any drills that you work on your peripherals so when you're running, you see a guy on your right and left? Yeah, is yeah, Is that a thing yeah, or no? Yeah, yeah. You know what? I mean, uh we didn't call it that, but you were certainly doing stuff to train um, your field of view. Okay. Right? You're, uh, you know, there was, you'd be, uh, I guess, uh, didn't consciously do it with specific coaches. Hey, we're going to work on our kind of field of vision, but you just naturally did it, you know, through different drills that we were doing. Um, I think that was actually very important. I played a lot of special teams, right? And so if you can imagine special teams where you're running full speed down the field, your goal is to tackle the returner coming the other way, right? And there's 11 guys whose job it is to stop you, right? And obviously everybody's, you know, one-on-one and, and all those different things. And But in some cases, sometimes when the return is designed to go a specific way, the return team will leave certain guys unblocked, okay, that are away from the return, that are, you know, in the area where the returner is going to run, and then they'll double-team guys in the area where they want to run. So what happens is, Sometimes you'll be running down, like, you know, if I'm a cover guy chasing down, going to get the returner, I think a specific guy is trying to block me, and then all of a sudden someone else comes into my field Uh, of vision and, you know, tries to crush you from the side, and because it's a case of a double team. And so there was a saying we always had, you know, special teams, get your head on a swivel, right? And that meant you need to see everywhere. You need to see the returner coming, but you need to see left, you need to see right, Otherwise, you could get, like, someone could be coming from any direction looking to, like, you know, decapitate you. <laughs> I see what you mean by this fear. Like, the first question I asked, your answer was about fear. Like, yeah, every yeah. answer you have is yeah. about, not fear, but fear yeah. is lingering in the back of every answer you have. Oh, yeah. And I understand, I'm starting to slowly you're understand. You're on edge, it. man. Yeah. Yeah, you're on you're edge. On you edge. know, you got to go full speed. And, yeah. You know, and uh, that was, I learned that that was the only way to go, right? Full speed. And if you hesitate, it ends up, you end up getting hurt. Yeah. More than going full speed. You just got to play, right? You hesitate, you start thinking, you start second get, And I t- same thing in hockey with different from t- the physical fear sort of thing, like you're going to get, you know, crushed. 
but you see kids in other activities, when they hesitate, they just freeze and they, they don't think, right? And then they're not sure what to do. So what I you know, try to encourage the kids is go full speed because when you go full speed, whether you do something wrong or right, doesn't matter. Sport is about learning, right? So go ahead and make a thousand mistakes, but do it going full speed because then your teammates know exactly what you're going to do and your teammates, they're all out there. You're all, as, as a team, you're there to support each other. So when you make a mistake going full speed, your team actually has a better chance to recover on that mistake than if you make the same mistake going half speed. Now everybody's not sure. What, what are you going to do? And then they all slow down. And then you make the mistake. You put your team in a worse situation. So I try to tell the kids, go full bore and make lots of mistakes. And, you know, obviously you're trying to do the right thing. But whatever. You make mistakes, don't worry about it. Just do it going fast. You're going to help your team anyways. Right. And that's like the, that. that's the kind of thing I learned from football. Right. And a pinball used to talk about that all the time. Right? You can't play scared. You can't play or hesitant. Right. You have to just play, play loose, play fast so that your team can support you. Right. And defense would, defenses are, you know, they're like a, a tight knit family, whether they all liked each other or not. They had to find a way to communicate and play. And, you know, I played amongst, I was very fortunate to play amongst some of the best defenses in the, ever in the CFL, you know, 2000, uh, three, four, five, six with Mike O'Shea at the middle and Orlando Steinauer, free safety, that are now both head coaches in the CFL. These guys are unbelievable the way they orchestrated their defenses. But they were, and they, and they, and they would preach that, just go full speed, and that way we have a chance to actually recover if you make your mistake fast, right? If you slow down and hesitate, then you put everyone else in a much more difficult situation. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> uh, what did it mean to you to be inducted into the York University uh, Hall of Fame in 2017? How much did that yeah. mean to you? Yeah, man. Thanks. No, that was uh, that was a quite a special moment. You know, just the whole journey of how things happened, how they came together, the amount of emotion during that time frame. You know, the the different things, and um, it meant a lot. It meant a lot, and it especially meant a lot because my family was there to be a part of it. I've got four young kids, and they were all able to. You know, um, or my, the youngest was only a year old, but they were all able to kind of be there and, and to, you know, see that, uh, hey, their dad was pretty cool once upon a time, right? And uh, it, the older ones grew up in the Rogers Center running around and going to games, so they kind of have those memories. But the younger ones, and you know, just great to have them be a part of that experience. And, um, you know, I got to catch up with so many amazing people, right, and, and teammates and friends. And, um, yeah, it's probably one of the greatest honors, I think, that I've uh, I've had. That's yeah. awesome, man. Anyone that's, uh, yeah, just to be recognized on that level. That's crazy. Yeah. Thank Congrats. You. Thank you. Um, excuse me if I'm saying something wrong here, but I was yeah. reading through your, your bio this weekend and yes. I saw that you were undrafted into the CFL. Yeah. You were signed by uh, Hamilton. That's right. But then after looking at all the records you set there in York, I was confused. Yes. Yes. Why? Yeah, you why? know what? It, it's, there's, um, it's funny how things fall together, right? Sometimes there's, uh, and I tell, again, Tell kids to focus on the things you can't control, right? This would be a perfect example of an uncontrollable, right? You think, hey, you have a good opportunity to be drafted, and, you know, comes draft day, and uh, to be honest, I didn't think I was going to get drafted. I didn't. Um, I was, you know, but then I had a lot of other people saying, hey, you're going to get drafted, and I thought, okay, well, wow, this is kind of cool. So I was sitting there staring at the draft board, and it didn't happen, and I was pretty crushed because, you know, I... Even though I didn't think I was going to, I had a lot of messages and thought, well, maybe this is actually a possibility, right? And then when it didn't happen, I thought, okay, it's not supposed to be, but I was, you know, kind of buckled at the same time. And, um, you know, and then, uh, and when I look back and, and why, there was one running back that got drafted in, in that year, right? And it's part of it is teams just didn't need a Canadian running back. 
they had depth at Canadian running back, right? And so you only have six rounds at the time or eight rounds of, of draft picks. Teams are going to pick what they need. They're going to pick offensive linemen. They're going to need D linemen. If they've already got depth at running back, well, they're not going to pick, you know, they've got probably an American, usually American starter running back and a couple of Canadian backups. And none of the teams really needed a, a back, right? And so I think that was kind of the scenario. They just, not not a lot of running backs were needed. Um but it also just put more fire into me. It's like, you know what? Hey, another opportunity might come up, right? And sure enough, so the draft was, I think, in uh, April of, uh, you know, 2000, 2000, right? Or May. And then June, at the end of June that same year, you know, I was up at my buddy's stag, you know, getting after it of a, a weekend of fun. Come back down. I was like 10 messages on the phone at home. And it was Ron Lancaster and Mike McCarthy and saying, hey, Jeff, we got an opportunity to bring you out to Hamilton. We just traded Eric LaPointe to Toronto. We'd love to bring, we're bringing in a couple of running backs. We'd love to bring you in. I remember listening to the message, probably listened to it 25 times. I was like, is this, mom, do you hear the same thing I'm hearing? She's like, yep, that's Ron Lancaster. You know, and I'm like, oh man, this is crazy. She's like, well, you're supposed to go to work tomorrow. You better call Ontario Hydro and tell them you're not coming in. And I was like, oh my God. Yeah. And so like all this change all of a sudden, right. And super exciting. And, uh, um, so yeah, I remember driving in and I think, uh, I was by myself and I just kept thinking, driving over the Burlington Skyway, you know, and, and thinking, wow, I got a pretty unique opportunity here. And, um, it's up to me here, right? What I, what I get out of this. And, uh, yeah, better just kind of literally leave it all out there. Cause who knows something like this would never come back again. Right. And, um, ended up making, ended up making the team. I had a, a big return in that first, uh, in the first or the second preseason game. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, I ended up being a returner first couple of years, but yeah, it, a case of didn't get drafted. Um, kind of thought it might be done. Right, I, I still had a year left at university, so I, I knew oh. that there might be another opportunity there okay. afterwards. So I was, you know, okay, another year with the York Yeoman, and you know, we'll, we'll figure out the next stage after that. Um, but then the opportunity came up, right, and at a surprise, and uh, yeah, and you know, w- didn't hold any hard feelings on not being drafted. Just went after it when I did get the opportunity. And then, how did the trade happen with the, the Argonauts? Or were you a free agent then and signed with Toronto? Yeah, no, good question. So. Um, I had, uh, an opportunity my second year in Hamilton where we let go of a running back who was outstanding. His name was Ronald Williams and him and the head coach had, a, had some, had some, a bit of head butting one of the games. And I think Lancaster had to show the team who was in control and ended up letting this guy go. And he was a big running back from the university of Georgia, one of the top running backs in the, in the league. So here I am driving into practice on Monday morning. And the Hamilton media comes flying up. Hey, Jeff, you're starting this week. How are you feeling about that? I was like, what? What are you talking about? Had no idea. And um, so we go to Edmonton, and I get to start, again, just losing my mind, right? Again, the fear <laughs> thing comes all flying right back. I'm the, I'm the you know, because until then, I was playing special teams only. So that right? means like you're just doing returns on public. Doing returns, the, okay, yeah, blocking yeah, yeah, guys, yeah. tackling guys, doing stuff I'd never done in university, but had to learn that stuff really quick, which is another story. But um, that's all I had done okay. until all of a sudden, hey, you're going to be starting. Right. And so we go to Edmonton and I ended up having a big game out there. Right. And all of a sudden, I, wow, who's this kid again? I started getting all this attention, this running back, you know, I had a hundred plus yards rushing and, you know, and, uh, anyways, so at the end of that season, they were like, oh, you know what, you're, you're going to get some attention from the league here. Right. And, and, uh, you know, you might get a, a chance at a higher contract and all that. I was like, oh, this is great. And so then I called Hamilton after I said, guys, what's the game plan? They're like, yeah, we're going to resign you, but just hold tight. Right. So this was like two days before free agency. I was like, all right, well, okay, no problem. So then the day of free agency, I call him back. I said, you know, Mike, do you guys want to sign me again? He's like, yeah, yeah, just hold tight. I'm like, okay. 
free agency hits, you know, 11.59 p.m. or whatever, 12.01, Argos call that night. Hey, Jeff, we want to sign you. I'm like, oh, okay, hang on a second. I need to call Hamilton back. <laughs> Hamilton, this is what's going on. I didn't have an agent, right? So I was de- handling, dealing this myself. You. Right? I love yeah, it. dealing I love myself. It. And I'm like, guys, a couple teams have, you know, there's some interest. And, and, and they're like, well, just hang on. Don't sign anything yet. Da-da-da-da. I'm like, okay, go back to Toronto. They put an offer out there. I said, listen, Hamilton still wants to come with something. They're like, well, you know what? Here's the offer. It's good for a couple of days. Let us know. You know, next one day goes by. Toronto calls back. Did you make a decision? No, no, no. They make the offer a little better. I'm like, okay, let me call Hamilton. Anyways, I ended up signing with Toronto. So I was going to say, yeah. the fact that you held on that long, I was like, holy smokes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that was an interesting scenario, trying to figure all that you know, out by myself. First, you know, swing at the can. And when I had the contract, I did have a family lawyer have a look at it. And, uh, you know, we figured it out. But, um, yeah, going to Toronto, it was kind of a no-brainer. It was my hometown too, right? It's like, geez, here's an opportunity to play for your hometown. How often does this, does this happen to anybody? Right. And, um, let alone playing in, you know, pro sport. And, uh, anyways, it was, it was a great, uh, it was Mike, uh, Paul Mazzotti who played with Toronto for a number of years, CFL hall of famer, one of the greatest Argos of all time. He was, uh, handling the contracts for Toronto at the time, director of Canadian scouting. And, um, so I was dealing with him, Paul, he was great. And, uh, you know, yeah, he was, uh, you know, gave me the couple of words that I needed to hear to get me to Toronto so yeah wow yeah. what a story that's crazy <laughs> undrafted had a great year in Hamilton made the best of your opportunity and then signed with I guess you can say your hometown yeah team that's and, kind of and, fair to say and the the, the number one rival to the Hamilton Tiger Cats really team, right <laughs> love it I love that that's awesome that didn't necessarily go over well with the fans there but uh yeah yeah. So when you cool. did sign, did you sign as a running back or did you sign special teams? How does it work when you sign? Like, do you sign as a position yeah. or are you just a player? Yeah, no, good question. So, yeah, I mean, your your role is, uh, I mean, you're going in, you're the run, you're a running back, so you right? Start. They don't sign as a starter. Hey, if you start, you know, we'll get you X thousands more per game for games that you start, Okay. right? That's kind of the scenario. Um, you know, or if you play X percentage of reps in the game, you'll get a bonus in the game, right? Um, so you just kind of sign the contract as, uh, yeah, you're a running back. You're either going to be a starter, you're going to be a second or a third, or you might not even make the team, right? Um, oh, really? It can easily, yeah, you still got to make the squad, um, you know, but at the same time, you're probably going to play all the special. You got to make the team as a special teamer. So the contracts are not guaranteed, right? Even though you sign it, you still got to go through the whole training camp process, right? You know, they bring typically, I mean, how many guys would they bring to camp? Probably 80 guys, you know, 70, 80 guys to camp, and then they keep, I mean, I'm probably high with that. 60, 70 guys, and then they keep, you know, the starting roster ends up being 42 guys, 43 guys, and then another 10, you know, so 50-something guys, right, that would wow. be active on the team. Yeah. And then correct me if I'm wrong, you won a great cup that first year? Yeah, uh, no, a couple years later. So 2002 was my first year in Toronto. 2004 Four. was the first great cup, and uh, with that defense that I was telling you about, and Pinball Clemens was the head coach. And, uh, wow. yeah, yeah, we had an unreal wow. locker room of guys, a lot of leaders, a lot of leadership in that group. The Damon Allen was our quarterback. Um, you know, that season I didn't play a lot of tailback primarily. My role was as special teamer, right, and uh, backing up the main tail. I did, you know, would come into games when the, the main guy would go down, John Avery, who probably one of the fastest guys ever played with and an absolute beauty of a teammate. Like, this guy was just joke after joke. Like, he was Lodge. the guy in the locker room that would be in there, you know, 
Michael Jackson would be playing, he'd be dancing and he'd be sliding around doing all sorts of stuff, right? Just constantly in a good mood, yeah, right? And, yeah. What's up, JJ? You know, yeah. <laughs> a movie character. Oh, he had a nickname for everybody, right? And uh anyhow, so J A was uh, was was the starting tailback and he ran like a four two nine, right? He played for the Dolphins for three or four years and you know, and uh it didn't work out in the NFL, ended up coming we were lucky to get him in the CFL and I was backing him up, right? And wow. you know, and he was a good guy to learn in behind. And how old were you? Uh, Two thousand four. Yeah, I guess. Uh, uh, I guess what twenty, twenty seven or twenty eight? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. yeah. What was the key component to winning a championship? I love talking to guys who yeah. won things. Yes. What What do you think it was? Yeah. Yeah. We open a can of worms with this discussion. This question. Um, yeah. It's. Uh, I like to. You know, the culture is number one. Right, that group culture, the team culture, I think is absolute, absolutely paramount. If you don't have the winning culture, you're just not, you don't, you're not going to get there. And how it comes together can be many different ways, right? So in the case of the 2004 team, the culture was bred from within the locker room. You had a team of leaders, right? You had uh, you had the Mike O'Shea's, you had the Damon Allens, you had the you know there was the, the Orlando Steinhours. Um, but you had some incredibly strong personalities as well. Like we had some guys that were stars in the NFL, uh, you know, maybe had gotten into trouble a little bit in the States, um, but were phenomenal athletes on the field, right? And so there was a certain dynamic in our locker room of um, that could be a lot of tension. There was some fights occasionally, right? You had, uh, there was, you know, <laughs> you know, after post game, guys running into the locker room and commenting on blaming guys on the team for a moment and like something that happened on the field. And, and a leader like Mike O'Shea would step up, grab, grab someone and say, Hey, you know what? There was three things you did wrong during that game. Three things that you could have done differently that could have impacted that game. Don't you dare start pointing the finger at other people. Right. And, um, so there were moments like that, that would pull the group together and it's like, yeah. And then the next day, that guy that screwed up would come in and say, hey, Osh, you know what? You're right. Right. And it was a guy that was, you know, you, you'd never expect him to apologize. Right. And, and would apologize. And just that, that I, would, that I, would, I would consider that a pivot point in a season where just two dynamic, really strong personalities, something would happen based off of leadership, you know, a moment where a leader took over in the locker room, did something. And someone responded in a way that a lot of people wouldn't think, but their response just made... The, the group glue turned everyone into glue oh, yeah. right so yeah i call that like a pivot moment or you know kind of a and, and there was there was a couple pivot moments that season right and um where it all just started to come together and uh you know going into that great cup game we were not the favorite we we're playing the bc lions and uh, where was the game it was in ottawa yeah great place to play football lands cool. downfield cool yeah awesome and um you know, they had uh, gone through some quarterback dynamics that season, and there was a lot of controversy on their side with the BC Lions. I think overall they had quite the, you know, a better record than we did. Um, but yeah, things just ended up coming together. Pinball was our head coach. That's another piece of the pie that was an incredibly strong dynamic, right? Pinball has a has a great skill. He has, uh, you know, he obviously can, he's he got a way of connecting with groups of people, but one on one, he also can connect with everybody, right? So. He's just such a unique person, right? He'll take the time that I mean, you could bump into him at the grocery store, one time, introduce yourself, have a conversation with you. He'll ask you five questions about you, right? Even though you want to talk about him, he'll want to talk about you, right? And then he'll see you a year later and he'll remember your name. No, right? Yeah, he'll remember your name, right? And he's just a very, 
It, Sorry, you go. Yeah. yeah. No, but, it, you know, got people like that don't come along very often, right? And he's someone that, you know, could, and so with that, he could connect with everyone in the locker room, right? And head coaches don't often do that, and that's fine. There's different styles for head coaches, but the group that we had, we needed to have a guy like Pinball that could connect with everyone and pull the best out of everybody, right? And and the message, you know, his message to one guy would be completely different than the message to another guy. And, hey, we need your best, mm-hmm. right? And he could pull that best out in, in different ways. And um, it's pretty awesome to be in an environment that have an opportunity to be in that environment to, to learn from, from his messaging and the, what he was trying to do. He was all about creating better men, period, right? He's like, you become a better person, a better man, a better family man, a better parent, a better husband, a better boyfriend, you're going to be a better football player. Right. And that we heard that like every quarter, you know, like we heard that in the, f- the first four games, we heard it in the next four games, we heard it in the next four games. And that was the foundation of the messaging he was trying to, you know, the culture he was trying to embed with the team. And um, the guys wouldn't talk about that afterwards. Right. But you just hear it. They they all re- connected with it. They're like, yeah, because every, everybody had something that was going on, too. Right. Like, you know, CFL, you're not the highest paid athlete. You had a lot of guys. You think about that locker room where half the team is Americans. Half the team were coming from huge programs in the States where they were held on a pedestal. Their dream was to make it to the NFL, and they didn't make it. And now they were in the CFL making a tenth or even less, a fifth of what they could have been making in the NFL. So their dreams were sliding down fast. So the messaging, and so when you get in that environment, guys can go off the handle. They disappear in the city of Toronto. That's a big city. There's a lot of stuff going on. If you're not, things aren't going well, you can get into trouble easily. Um, so pinball was you know, just trying to... You know, a lot of these guys were, again, he's trying to get the best out of all these phenomenal athletes where some of them, their confidence had started to fade and Penn found a way to lift everybody and get everybody together. And man, did we have a good team win it all, you know, when we were all wow. clicking. Yeah. Wow. That's incredible. <laughs> yeah. That's. Yeah. When you said guys would fight and then the next day they would come back in and say, you know what, you were right. I wonder if they had a conversation with Pinball before they came into the room the next day to say, you know what, you were right. Like, where yeah. did their minds switch? I wonder if, you know, it's like, all right, come, maybe, you know, like maybe, you that, know what, maybe. And uh, in, in the particular scenario, I don't think so. You know, there was, um, but in some cases, yes, you know, and Pin would maybe just have a word on the side and say, listen, you can walk into that locker room and have the guy understand that the way you walk in the locker room tomorrow or the way you walk in the locker room today can impact where our team goes just simply by, by what you say, right? You're that strong of a personality and having guys understand that you're such an incredi- uh, a critical piece of this team, everybody, right? Like all of the parts count, right? No single individual is greater than the, the sum of its parts in, in football, not even close in every sports. That's the, that's the case, but we would really preach that, right? And um, just, you know, preaching that group and that fit in mentality, right? And, uh, you know, there was uh, an acronym on uh, <laughs> FIFO was was written on the board in in the uh, defensive e- locker room. FIFO, FIFO, F-I-F-O. F-I-F-O. Fit fit in or fudge off. <laughs> <laughs> I like that. <laughs> Bottom line, I like that. Right, and that was that was the uh, that was the focus. Right, that was what it was all about. Check your ego at the door. It's not about you. It's about what we're trying to do together. Right, and and you and we're talking strong personalities like where I said where these guys were. You know, it's all about me. In, in some of those environments, but we were trying to build something that, no, it's not all about you. It's about us. Right. And, yeah. and, you, and you need to buy into it. Right. If we're going to be successful, you need to buy into it. So that culture was where uh, it's one that everyone bought in, everyone bought in. And, um, to, to, yeah, to be a part of it was, was quite something. And, uh, 
Yeah, so that wow. was the 2004 Grey Cup team. Which yeah. one's the 2004 ring? Yeah, that's the 04 ring right there. Can we hold Yeah, it? yeah, there you go. Actually, just tell me if that's yeah. on the... Yeah. Is it? Yeah, let that focus in there. Is it focused? Yeah. yeah. Nice. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Yeah. Grey yeah. Cup champion. Oh, it has your name on it, too. Yeah. Is that you were number 33? Yes. Wow. Yeah. Are yeah. Toronto, 131 years. Yeah. See it? That's way. That's heavy. That's a paperweight. Where do yeah. you Where do you keep it at home? Yeah, we keep it in a in a safe place. Keep yeah. it in a safe. I don't, I, I don't, don't wear it very wear. often. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, we had some phenomenal owners then. Um, David Cinnamon and Howard Sokolowski. Highly engaged ownership, where, you know, they would come through the locker room. Hey Jeff, how's it going? Really? Right? That's How, nice. How's it going? Do you have what you need to be successful? And that's another thing that I th- I'm a big believer in. You know, you're trying to build a culture. You need to talk to your people, and yeah, have them understand. Do you have what you need? And you know, the guys like uh, Mike O'Shea would, you know, talk about you know someone making a mistake on a play, right? And right away, most people would say hey, it's that guy's fault. Well, wait a minute. Did that guy was he given the tools to be successful, right? In that particular play, maybe he's running against someone that you know is a lot faster. Right. Well, then you need to, you know, help help that person understand from a strategy perspective. What do you need to do to win that battle? Right. Just trying to chase, you know, run them down side by side. You're not going to win. Mm. So then you need to try something different. And um, and uh, so yeah, these these owners would just kind of engage with the guys and come back to, hey, you know what? How are you doing? And they wanted to understand the culture. Did you know? Do you guys have what you need to have? You know, what you need to be successful and. Yeah, they pulled together an un- incredibly winning team for a bunch of years, and in 2004 we ended up getting that cup. Yeah, and then I want to jump to 2000. Actually, I don't want to jump to 2012. Yeah, you, how many years were you in the CFL for? Four, 14. 14. Years. Okay, my math's 14 on. years. Yeah, no, it's that's that's okay. not average, man. That's yeah. <laughs> I don't know about. Yeah, I'm not like I said. I'm not a football guy, and from what I hear is all these guys in the NFL they don't last long. And you yes. you played for what? Yeah, running backs, running backs yeah. especially because you're yeah. taking the most hits. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. What's Take a lot your, of hits. Yeah. What's the secret uh, to success, man? You know what I, I mean. Uh, alluded to a little bit about uh, before. You know, it's 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 the the level of engagement. It's the um, you know, learn more than what you have to do, right? I mean, here's your job. Learn your job. Be great at your job. Um, but if there's stuff around you that you know your body might lend to success of it, and maybe you can learn another position or study the offense and help other guys, then why not learn it, right? And um, you know, I, I just took a more of a, uh, I guess, comprehensive approach to the offensive structure. So I knew a bunch of different positions, right? So when our team, which again, roster, you got 42 guys starting, um, all it takes is one or two injuries on, as a, from, on the receiving core. Cause you have maybe one backup. You got five receivers that would play in a game. There's one back, the sixth guy. So you get one guy hurt. That guy goes in. Now you've got five receivers in the game and no subs. Someone else goes down. And you're taking out that now you've only got four receivers and you got to play with two running backs. Now the offensive package that let's say it was a you know heavy pass kind of you know game plan and mo- and most of the plays maybe you needed five receivers. Well, when you have two guys get injured, that takes away half the half the game plan from an offensive perspective, right? And so learned early on there was a game out in BC where we had a couple guys go down. I went to to Adam Reed. I said, Hey, Rita, coach, I know that I know I you know I put me in at Z receiver or put me in at X. He's like, What? Really? And I said, yeah, yeah, I, I can make the plays. I know the plays. He's like, okay, go. So I literally no ran way. into the game and <laughs> and uh, 
I think it was the first or second play. Boom. All of a sudden, turn, made a cut. Ball came to me. Like out in the flat. Like, you know, that's a long way to catch the ball, right? And caught the ball and uh, made one guy miss out in the own field. Made two guys miss. I ended up getting, I don't know, 12, 15 yards on the play. And, you know, and and, and then then, uh, come to the sideline and Coach Rita's like, holy shit. Nice work, kid. Right? <laughs> right? And so the next year, I ended up playing the rest of the game at that receiver spot. And then we get back later. He's like, I didn't know you could do that. And I'm like, well, yeah, I guess I didn't really know that either. But I <laughs> knew it could catch the ball and, you know, it could run some patterns. Um, so then I became the utility guy, right? And they're like, JJ's our utility guy. So I, my main spot was fullback, but I would back up the tailback. You know, I could play tight end. You know, I could play at slot and, uh, you know, would go in and fill all these. I mean, that didn't happen often. But they knew that if it was needed, yeah. you could fill the role, the right? Role. And um, <laughs> so that's how I, you know, built some value. And then it was the value shifted to the, you know, the, the leadership in the locker room, right? As you get older, you get a little slower, you start to lose a bit of a step. So now your value proposition changes, right? What you bring to the team. It's not all about the blazing speed or the touchdowns you're going to score. Um, it's, it's the consistency. It's the leadership and, and the, you know, hey, we know you're going you're gonna to win 75% of the time you're, win your battles. We know you're going to be 100% correct in your assignments and you're going to bring us great leadership in the locker room and we need that with younger guys, right? Awesome. So um, that was kind of the, the value, I think, of why it, it progressed and my engagement never faltered, right? So, and with that, I mean, during the season engagement, focus on trying to improve, but every off season, I was like, okay, how am I going to get better this season? How am I going to get faster? How am I going to get stronger? never faltered right and I was highly engaged in every training session right and um for sure that played a big component and I just continued to get stronger and you know I maintained my speed I didn't until my last couple of years right but (laughs) (laughs) you know I was pretty good with that but uh that's a really critical piece right because I think you know I hear I've heard some other podcasts you know where athletes are on and they're have short careers or they have longer careers and I can't remember who it was it was a hockey guy and he was talking about you know, a lot of guys will get to the pros and think, "Oh, I made it." Yager. Uh, it might have. It might have been. It might have been. Yeah, he's, he's forty-five. He's on the NHL. Oh, he, he was talking about Yager. So, uh, yeah, he was talking about Yager, and it's like a lot of guys get to the pro and they're like, "Oh, I made it," and then they take their foot off the gas, right? They, okay, I made it. I don't need to do all of those things that I was doing every single day to get here, right? I don't need to put the extra time in. Well, no, you do. You actually need to increase the extra time if you want to continue to compete. Because guess what? There's thousands of athletes right on your heels that want to take your job so you need to and i you know that was in my head i'm like man this is such a unique opportunity i I get to play football driving into the rogers center looking at the city i'm like man i'm gonna play football and get a check after this game like who gets to do that yeah right and uh i was just so grateful for it and um yeah it it pushed me for 14 years yeah until that last year when all of a sudden I was like, oh, maybe it's time to move on. But <laughs> That's incredible. That's Do you do like motivational speaking or anything like that? Uh, you, sometimes. I have yeah. been asked, not since we've moved down here, but uh, yeah, occasionally back in Toronto I did yeah. when I was playing and um, post-career for a couple of years I had done a couple yeah. of events here and there. Yeah, oh, that's wicked. That's incredibly motivating. Yeah, thank um, you. <laughs> 2012 Grey Cup. Yeah, yeah. Key to success on that team. Yes, was there, yes. Was there still ego involved? Was it still the same yeah. issues that you had to get through? What, what, yeah. what was the 2012 was team success? The, I mean, we had a, uh, we had a, this was another group of characters. Um, I'd say the culture was, was strong, but there were moments that happened during the season in games that brought the group together, right? So, and, and I'll give you an example. Ricky Ray was our quarterback. Ricky Ray, in my opinion, is one of the greatest quarterbacks ever in the CFL. Texas. 
Yeah. I'm thinking of the right guy. Uh, he Fred actually, Braids? Uh, no, no. Um, Ricky's from, uh, I think, where did he go to school? Um, he, w- he went to school in California. Okay. Phenomenal quarterback, though. Started in Edmonton from his first year in the CFL. He was 60% plus completion percentage. First year, right right away. Got an opportunity to go to the NFL. I think he won a great cup in his, or he, or they lost in the great cup in his first year in 02. I think he won the foot when he came back. But um, he got an opportunity to go to the NFL after a year or two in the CFL. The reason he didn't make it, they said he didn't throw hard enough, right? But this guy's accuracy was off the charts. Not only that, his entire career was a student of the game. Completely focused, you know, communicating with the receivers. How can I make your job easier? He would ask the receivers all the time. How can I make your job easier? Where do I need to put the ball so that you, you catch the ball? And then he'd put it there. Like whether it was dropping it right over someone's shoulder, putting it right, like his accuracy was incredible. Um, so Ricky Ray was our quarterback. How we got him from Edmonton just still surprises me today because he was in Edmonton for a long time and they made a huge mistake and let him go and Toronto got him, right? And and that was a big blow up in the media. And I think, yeah, <laughs> Edmonton, the fans probably still are like, how the heck did we ever give that guy, let him go? But but he was like a, kind of like a Tom Brady quarterback, right? Wow. So his style of play wasn't the most exciting. And what I mean by that is he would, Take what the defense gave you, right? So he would move the ball down the field the way a quarterback, a pure quarterback does, which is take what the defense gives you. So the defense covers the deeper throw. So the quarterback will go option one is a longer throw usually. Option two is probably something mid-range. Option three is going to be a check down throw. It's probably a five-yard pass and then let your guys make a play. So he would move the ball down the field. And then when the defense tightened up, he would go for a longer throw. And, you know, in behind, in behind the defense, and boom, he would get the touchdown. So his style was really interesting. So we'd hold the ball a lot. We'd move the ball down the field, and sometimes, you know, we wouldn't score. We'd get a field goal, a lot of field goals, and then we would start getting the touchdowns as the game progressed. Um, so we had Ricky Ray at the helm, and he got hurt in 2012 early on in the season, okay? And we went through a, a struggle in the locker room where, you know, we were winning, losing, winning, losing. We were kind of not even middle of the pack. We were towards the bottom. And I remember it was, uh, I want to say it was week 13 or week 14. We were playing at home against the Winnipeg Blue Bombers. Ricky had just come back. And everyone in the locker room was like, oh, we're going to get things going this week. We're going to crush these guys. And we go out, Ricky playing QB, have a great week of practice leading into it. And we completely lay an egg. Bombers crush us. We get in the locker room and guys just start going sideways. Right? It's there's there's First of all, it was quiet. And then... Coach came in, lost his mind, Milanovic, you know, Scott Milanovic, great coach. You know, said, <laughs> like, are you, really? Are you kidding me? Like, just, you know, was really, it, it was one of those gut check moments where everyone looks in the mirror and says, wow, what are we doing? We're better than this. And couldn't have been a, a deeper low. And uh, so we go through that week. I have a couple of down moments, and it's like, all right, we're going into Saskatchewan now. The following week, we're going into Saskatchewan, toughest place to play in the CFL. You got crazy fans. Saskatchewan's on fire, and we're going out there after that huge loss. We're like, if we don't, we don't win that game, our season's done, right? Because we were like right on the, we weren't didn't have a playoff spot. We were right on the, you know, I think fourth, third or fourth place in the division. So we go out there. And we spent the whole week of, look, and the message was, look in the mirror. We're spending the week, look in the mirror. It's all about each of us individually. It's not anybody else, it's you, right? So we just spent the week t- trying to dial back into some fundamentals, focus on the game plan. Everybody look in the mirror, focus on what you need to do to win your individual battle. Everybody. And if you can do that, we're going to get the win. We go out there, 
and we friggin' got the win. Like it was, it was crazy, right? So it was a crazy battle. I think it went into right down to the wire. Might even gone to extra time, but it went right down to the wire. We ended up getting the win, and it was almost like uh, we did a complete 180. It was like a jet plane just started to lift off, yeah. and we went from that point on. We crushed everybody after that game. Like, really, we crushed everybody. We went into the we went into the semifinal against. Uh, so there was a crossover. So Edmonton Eskimos ended up um, finishing in in third place in the crossover. We ended up finishing in second place. Alouettes were in first. We finished in first or second place. Edmonton finished in third, and because they were so good in the West, there was a crossover. Their defense was unbelievable. Right, they had the best D line in the league. Our and. That season, our offensive line had their ups and downs, as every season does, but they had a lot of ups and downs. But when that turning point happened, our O-line just started to click. So when you know, from that Winnipeg game to the Saskatchewan game, we started to, started to win. The offensive line, just something happened there. Something happened with everybody in the locker room. Guys were making plays. So here we are. Edmonton's coming in Toronto. They got Armando Sewell. He's still playing today. This guy was a tank. The offensive lineman's like, okay, this guy's the strongest guy in the league. They felt like they, you know, with one arm each, you could probably lift a 300-pound guy on each arm. Like he was just, no, he's just so powerful. So What's powerful. What's his name? Amando Sewell. Can, I, can we Sewell. look up a picture of him? <laughs> can you, Jeff? Yeah, yeah, look him up. Look him up. Um, just an absolute tank on D-line. Just just go to Google. Yeah. How do you spell that? A- uh, S, uh, S-E-W-E-L-L is his last name. S-E. Yeah, Sewell. Elmondo. Just throw in Elmondo. A-L-M. There he is, Elmondo. Yeah. Just go images. Yeah. Holy shit. Go to the fourth on the right when he's in the t-shirt. Oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Straight Holy beast. Holy Yeah, he's a tank. Shit. He's a ball of muscle. He's still right? playing? He's still playing. He's still. I think he's in Montreal right now. Wow. And... uh so our our old line was dealing with it, and there was a and I'm trying to who was beside him. The guy beside him was an equal. This looks like him now in Montreal. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. The guy beside him was an equal. I mean, he'd be probably six one or two, maybe six three, but three and change, and just you know, wow. most of that was in his lower half. So he's incredibly powerful, right? Um, so our old line were you know, and the guy bes- and who was beside him, but there was a guy beside him that was just the same body type, and then they had two DNs that were leading the league in sacks and we're going into that game and our O-lines you know hey it's time to look into the mirror so this is the playoffs now two weeks before we get to the playoffs so now we're on the upswing our general manager at the time Jim Barker brings back an absolute beauty of a player Adriano Belli okay you need to look him up the kissing bandit is his name (laughs) he's one he's so on when TSN does the most colorful players in sport yeah he's like number five still Adriano Belli. This guy was a beauty. The kissing last name's Belli. Belli. B E L L I. He would kiss everybody. <laughs> kiss everybody on the double cheeks. That's him. Oh yeah. He's saying, "Oh Canada." The- <laughs> Look yeah. at the scarf. Oh yeah. He's an absolute, <laughs> absolute beauty. And I mean, I got a hundred stories on this guy. American Idol. So, oh yeah. He Canadian went Idol. Yeah, Canadian. Canadian Idol. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He was Jesse Palmer's roommate. No. Who played in the Giants, and he's a you know NFL broadcast. Oh yeah. He was Jesse Palmer's roommate in New York. That's him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So go to that, that one, the practice. So one, you but... see that kiss there, though. Yeah, yeah. He's kissing everyone. He would, he'd be like, "Listen, 
give me a kiss. Most people are like, no, no, no. And he, he, right here on the cheek. And they'd go lean in and right last second he'd turn his face forward. Right? It'd be right on the smackers. Okay, so Is that 2012? That's the year? Yeah, Okay, yeah, so yeah, what yeah. happened? So we brought him back. Yeah. Right? And he'd retired. And we brought him in. And I think, honestly, the GM brought him in to just... So guys could just relax their puckers. It yeah. was it was a tight locker room. Okay. Guys were it was intense. Belly came in, <laughs> the edge. They just took just took the edge off because he'd walk into the locker room, first day back, scarf wrapped around his neck. He's got you know skinny jeans. He's two hundred and eighty five pounds, right? The belly's not the same. So his, his little, he's got a little bit of a gut at this point. Yeah, he's got like a blazer on, and he walks in and he's walks in guys he's never met before pregame. Right, so everybody's in their towel, kind of going through, you know, getting warmed up and having a pregame shower or whatever. And he's walking up to guys, right up to them, and giving them kisses on their cheeks. Hey, welcome, nice to meet you, Adriano. And he's a big Italian personality, right? So he's got the accent going, right? And so, right, and the guys come, guys are like, "What are you doing? What are you touching me for?" Right? <laughs> oh my, my towel! I got a game in two hours, right? And and uh, so it was smart by Jim Barker brought him in to take the edge off in the locker room, right? And he contributed a little bit in the game, but he contributed in the locker room. That was the huge difference it made bringing that guy into the into the culture shift that happened within our locker room because he brought Adriano back. And um, yeah, anyways, he's uh, <laughs> I miss him a lot. I love sports. Yeah, <laughs> you know, doesn't even really come in for the athletic part just to help the yeah, room. Like that's but, right. You know? That's right. That's right. So I mean, one quick story about him when he got fined, and it might have been that game. So and I'll come back to that that semifinal game in a moment, but. So he gets he gets called into the you know the ref tribunal you know he he was known for doing some stuff extra, extracurriculars after the you know the whistle blew okay right so Belly was a guy that you know might put his fingers into your cage and you know maybe jam, jam a finger into your nose or you know give you a little pat on the butt or you know tell you that you're doing a good job sort of thing right <laughs> I got gotcha. you I got gotcha. you and um, some would say one of the dirtiest guys in the game uh, so anyhow he got called in. To the referee kind of, you know, tribunal board and they're, they sit him down yeah. and they've got a panel of refs or, you know, league officials around him. Screen pops up, they turn it on and they show a bunch of clips of him doing some stuff, right? And, and they're like, what do you have to say for yourself? And so the way he tells the story is he's like, I stood up, I flipped the table and said, you sons of bitches, do you have any idea what it's like to be on the field with a thousand pounds of meat? Trying to tear your head off every play? You have no idea. You can go beep yourselves. And he walked out. No. <laughs> wow. Yeah, yeah. And then they find him. And uh, yeah, yeah. So that's the way he tells the story. I'm sure it kind of went something like that. But uh, yeah, super dynamic character. Played the game with his heart completely. You know, so his pre. So I'd see him in training. Like before the season would start, I'd be in the gym doing my heavy squats, my, you know, power cleans, lifting. I. He'd walk into the gym. This would be three weeks before training camp. And uh, he's like, JJ, you're looking great. I'm like, yeah, Adriano, how are you doing? He's like, oh, I better get some training going. Season starts in a couple of weeks. No. <laughs> right yes. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, what? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I got to get some training going. So I'd see him. He'd throw on his shorts, and they were like tights. Yeah. Right? And, he, and he'd put on a, his T-shirt. And he would start rolling and doing like get-ups. Like, so he'd roll on the ground in the gym. right? He'd be in the gym, and he'd find a little station. He'd roll to the left and get up and do a couple quick feet. Then he'd roll on the ground again and go the other way and do a couple quick feet. And then he'd do a couple sprints. I don't even think he touched weights. But the guy was literally unstoppable as a defensive lineman. And it was because of his motor and his relentless attitude, right? So he would, 
he had a club, like the the arm club, like the, the lineman, the, where he could club an offensive lineman, knock him off his balance, and he would. He was one of the, the quarterback sack leaders, like literally every what? year in his first probably six seven years, right? So he was he is an interior lineman, and uh, you know I also tell this to the kids all the time. It's all about your motor. Don't stop. You know the game when the whistle blows, that's when you stop. Yeah. When you're playing. Full tilt, feet are moving, go, go, go. And this guy's an example of a guy that made a, I think he played 12 years, 12, 13 years, had a shot in the NFL, and he did it because of his motor and his attitude. And uh, anyways, Argos, Barker brought him in to take the edge off in the locker room, and it made a huge difference. So now here we are going into Edmonton, or playing against Edmonton. They're coming in. They got this big D line, and uh, our offensive linemen just played the game of their life, absolutely played the game of their life. We also had a massive play in that game where uh, we had been working on a return, a special teams return. And Edmonton had stymied everybody all season because when they were kicking the ball, nobody knew which direction they were going to kick the ball. So that was problematic as a return team because they would kick the ball to the left, to the right, and the returner wouldn't be in the right place, which would mean if they didn't catch the ball clean, we couldn't set up our return, right? So it was a smart play by Edmonton to, you know, try to – to try to hide where they were kicking the ball because we had Chad Owens, who was the best returner in the league at the time, one of the greatest players, uh, dynamic players. You know, uh, I think he's got the, he ha- does have the football record for yards from scrimmage for all of pro football two years in a row, three three thousand no plus way. yards, unreal unreal football player, really good friend too. So we were like, listen, we need to get the ball into Chad's hands if we're going to win this game. Our offensive line needs to play the game of their life, and we need to Chad. We need to get some plays from Chad and. It's good. We need to get some from return. And uh, so we figured out that there was there was one of their up backs was literally leaning. He was like, whichever way the ball was going, his right, his foot, that foot would be forward. So if the ball, if they were going to kick right, his right foot was a foot in front of the left foot, right? And we picked this up on film. If oh. they were kicking it left, his left foot was a foot in front of his right foot. I wonder if he even right? knew that or if it was he just... He probably didn't know it. He probably didn't know it. So... I was running around, I was, you know, kind of second level on the return team, and my job was to identify the foot and make sure everybody knew the return. So if we were kicking it left and I, you know, we had a return that was going that way or it was going to come back, you know, the way from where they kicked. So I had to, you know, see the read, communicate it to the group, signal to Chad which way, you know, we had a signal for where it was going to go so he knew where to run when the ball was so kicked. what was the signal just like? I don't even remember what it was. No, it was like um, I had my hands behind my back. Actually, oh, like a volleyball yeah. player. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was Full pointing, circle. right? Yeah. So, boom. We see it. The up back had his right foot in front of the left. So it was going across the field because the, the ball was on the right hash. They were going to kick it to our left. And um, we got the signal. Everybody heard it. Chad got the signal. Boom. Ball's kicked. Over there. Catches it. We execute a perfect return. Boom. <laughs> Touchdown. Pivot. Pivot point in the game was one of the turning points. So, I mean, that moment, in, like, that was just incredible this to see the- that come together, right? And we spent the entire week, probably 15 hours, studying film as a group, as a special teams group, yeah. studying that those returns. How how many hours did it take until you found the tell with his foot in front of his other foot? How long in did you figure it out? A couple of hours. Really? We were in a couple of hours. We were like, okay, where can we, someone's going to be tipping this off, whether it's on the front line or the backup. You know, so the up backs are the guys usually... Um, giving the signals and, and they're the guys that are communicating to the, the line up front, communicating with the kicker, what's going on. So it's, you know, it was a good chance it might be one of those guys. And so, yeah, it was a couple hours in, we figured it out and then we had to work through, okay, now that we know, what are we going to do from a signal perspective so that 
everyone's on the same page, right? And uh, so it was just such a beautiful process to go through as a group to kind of, okay, what are we going to, and knowing that we need to get something from this unit, from our punt return unit, needs to do something in this game to win the game. And, um, I mean, it was ended up being a close game. That was a huge, you know, one of the pivotal points. And, uh, yeah, that was, uh, and then, yeah, I mean, uh, we, we got that win. We went into, and it was literally from that point on, we just steamrolled over Montreal. And then we played uh, Calgary in the in the Grey Cup final. Um, and Where was that uh, game? In Toronto. So it was the 100th Grey Cup. Oh, yeah. 100th, <laughs> I remember. 100th, 100th Grey Cup in Toronto. Toronto's hosting Calgary Stampeders. So you're sleeping in your own bed. You're, you're, you're Sleeping comfortable. Sleeping in your own bed. Oh, we still actually still in the hotel. We did a still at the Week Hotel to make uh, sure everyone was focused on the, you okay. know, studying and, and film and all that stuff. And, um, and uh, yeah, it was incredible. I mean, the raw, honestly, I thought the Rogers Center was going to collapse. It was so loud in there. What's the capacity right? there? I want to say know. it was, f- yeah, was it 54,000? Yeah, I think it's around 50. Yeah. Yeah. Oh. yeah. So it was just nuts, right? So, you know, the fireworks are going. Oh, I'm, the roof is off? Uh, no, it was closed. Okay. It was closed. But the fi- they still had fireworks inside there, right? And <laughs> Smoking it up. Oh, it was crazy. And, um, yeah, no, running down on the kickoff and just the feeling, right? And, uh, yeah, Chad Cackert, who is a good buddy, he was our running back, ended up having the game of his life, ended up being the MVP of the game, um, had some unreal runs. This guy, I mean, one of the fastest guys I've played with and, uh, yeah, it was just amazing, again, to see everything come together. But it was just that feeling of we felt like we were, there's no way anybody could beat us. That's how we felt. 2004, I didn't get that same feeling. We were confident. But in 2012, just with the the, 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 the way things came together through that last quarter of the season, last third of the season, it was like we were a jet plane taking off and that nobody was going to get in the way. So yeah. sick. <laughs> Can I see the 2012 ring now? Yes, sir. Look yeah. at this one. Yeah. Oh, it says 100, right under it, too. Yeah. Got the score on the underside, 35-22. Where, sir? Right underneath that. Oh, the, look at the, that. Yeah. It has their logo, too. Yeah. November 25th, 2012, 35-22. Oh, sorry, yeah. <laughs> Is it getting it? Yeah. I wonder yeah. if, I don't even know if you'll be able to see, but... You can, you can kind of see it. The inside there, yeah. Can you see it? Yeah. Nice. Yeah, okay. That's sick. It has the skyline, has like the CN Tower and stuff. Wow. Yeah, lots of detail in there. That lots of detail. Really yeah, it was really. Cool. It was between this ring and that ring. Like you can see, that ring's probably twice the size of this one. Yeah. Right, and uh, the ring started to get a little obnoxious. Like I mean, that's big, right? That's and big. and and that's 2012. I think 13, 14, 15. They probably are close to covering two fingers. Like they're the, they really bigger, yeah. bigger, <laughs> right? The double finger. That's unbelievable. Yeah, thank you. Stories that you have for the rest of yeah. your life, man. That's on. That's ah. yeah. Dude, you're a world champion two times. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah, it was hey, awesome, man. When you went in for your interview and in, in conduct, did you just talk about? <laughs> he's like yeah, well, so what, what can you do to help this company he yeah, goes well yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to <laughs> I'll tell you what one, it needs two, to be a bam. Yeah. <laughs> what is your uh, role at Conduct though I, yeah, you're, yeah. you're head of business development yes, at Conduct yeah, talk, talk yeah. about that role yeah yeah you know what it was an interesting journey after you know playing football and how you know things come together and while I was playing football I always worked I did something else I was you know I was a personal trainer for six years okay. um, you know it's a great opportunity in the CFL you have you know during the season you're highly committed in terms of your time, right? Off season, it's your time, right? And, uh, you know, I had a good training regime, but 
I felt like, wait a minute, I can also do some other things here because the career can end any time. The average career is like two years, literally in the CFL, or I think in most pro sports, it's two or three years. Um, high turnover rates, probably going to be a good chance. I'm not going to play that long, but I'm going to obviously push it as long as I can, And but I better have something else on the go. And uh, so I got into real estate for, um, so six years I was a trainer, then I got into real estate, residential and commercial real estate, Century 21, then joined Cushman Wakefield through the second half. And you know, thought that's what I was going to do after I finished playing. Like that was the game plan. Right. And then mm-hmm. when I got kind of towards the end, uh, kind of took a step back and said, okay, who is Jeff? Right. And, um, you know, I was this football player, but I was also, uh, incredibly passionate about the body and kinesiology. Right. Uh, very much into economics and all these different things in school, right. From, uh, from New York university. And I thought, well, wait a minute, Maybe I don't want to do real estate. Maybe I want to do something else. And my wife was not necessarily happy about this process, but <laughs> was, yeah, sure. I, you know, I had to look inside and kind of, hey, what do I want to do? And ended up starting our own business, importing some innovative health and fitness type related products and doing some distribution. And that was a tough process to go through and learning a ton, right? And again, you know, from real estate to that, being put in super uncomfortable situations all the time with, you know, presentations and presenting to developers and even this product that we were uh, selling across Canada was sitting in front of developers and, you know, new condos and all these different things. And um, I was actually sitting in a presentation for this company and uh, it was called Wellbeats and Travis McDonough was there, right? So Wellbeats was looking to maybe do a business development deal with Conduct related to content that, you know, Wellbeats made specific content and Conduct had specific content. And here I was, this little Canadian distributor helped facilitate the meeting and Travis was presenting Conduct. And this would have been in 2015, I think. Okay. Roughly. So I was a couple years into the radio as well, right? And uh, so I'm sitting there in the room and I'm thinking, are you kidding me? There's something like this that exists, right? I'd never heard of this athlete management software, right? That uh, helps out the support staff. You know, they can quickly understand status of athletes on their performance and health side of things, make more swift decisions on, you know, on how to take action, what's going to be best for the athletes. And, you know, having played 14 years, I got to know the staff around me really well. Like I broke my leg. I had, you know, a couple, two or three concussions. I had like, you know, fingers, all of them had been busted. No way. You know, toes, like lots of injuries, right? And um, I love, borderline loved the therapist. Like they took care of you. Like, you know, they were family, right? And um, so I had uh, a deep appreciation for what they were trying to do. And then here was Conduct, the software that was designed to make their life easier, right? And I thought, wow. And not only that, but the players too, right? And I, I thought, well, this is interesting. This is something I might want to get involved with, right? And so, you know, sure enough, meeting finishes. I find myself walking beside Travis. And I said, hey, man, love the presentation and what you guys are doing. Would love to help you out if I can in any way. This is what I do with Wellbeats. You know, I distribute your product, da, 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 I don't know what your Ontario presence is like. I know you guys are in the East Coast, but would love to help out with Ontario and some distribution. He's like, oh, yeah, let's talk about it. So then I followed up the next day, had a, sent him an email. Next thing you know, phone conversation, and he's like, yeah, you know, there was an opportunity to do some consulting work from from Toronto with the company, and that was kind of phase one, working with Conduct. And um, and then, about six months into that process, this is where it gets really weird, I found out that uh, I was related to Travis. I'd Ooh. never met him in my life, right? <laughs> like, this is really weird. It is weird. Yeah, so I'm telling my old man, I'm like, hey, Dad. He's like, how's it going? I'm like, oh, good, you know, a lot of stuff going on during, you know, post-football at that time with Wellbeats and, um, you know was doing some conduct and I was actually, you know, distributing some supplements. There was like a bunch of different You're an entrepreneur, right? you're moving. There you're was moving a lot of groove. things happening, right? I gotcha. Kind of legoed my life together for a couple of years. That's what I call it, right? And um, so I was going through that. I was telling my dad, hey, dad, this is what's happening. And, you know, connected with this really cool company in the East Coast named Conduct. 
their CEO is this really interesting guy. His name Travis, Travis McDonough. He's dynamic, blah, blah, blah. My dad's like, where are they located? And I said, Halifax. What's his last name? I said, McDonough. McDonough? He's like, we got family down there. McDonough's the McDonough family. And I said, well, what's the relationship? He's like, well, your grandmother, uh, her sister married... Uh, um, you know, moved down to the, moved down to the Ottawa area. They had a couple of kids. He's like, and then he's like, my cousin Peter married Alexa McDonough. Right. And I'm like, he's like, why don't you find out if he's, uh, you know, related to, to Alexa. And, uh, I said, dad, I've spoken to this guy on the phone a couple of times. He's, you know, the CEO of the company. You want me to ask him if his, you know, if his mom's Alexa McDonough, that we might be related. And he's like, yeah, I'm like, I'm not asking him that. <laughs> right. So I just left it alone for a couple months. Right. And <laughs> So dad's like, and then I talk, chat with him again another month later. He's like, so did you ask him? I'm like, no, I didn't. And so then Travis and I ended up having a call like the day later and I was, you know, on the phone with him and we got off the phone and after we got off the phone, I thought, oh, I forgot to ask him. Let me send him a quick message. So I sent him an email. I said, hey, Trav, any chance you're related to Alexa McDonough? I just need to ask the question, you know, totally random. He's like, yeah, that's my mom. I was like, what? So then I call my dad back. I'm like, dad, hold on a second here. McDonough. He's like, yeah. Did you ask him? I'm like, yeah, I asked him. It's his mother. He's like, all right, well, he's your cousin. I'm like, what? Hold on a minute. I'm like, what's the relationship again? He's like, well, your grandmother's sister went to Ottawa. Grandma, your grandma stayed here in London, Ontario. And and then they, her kids, blah, blah, blah. And, you know, Peter married Alexa McDonough. And I'm like, no, this is too weird, Dad. And he's like, well, yeah, your cousins. I'm like, so then I... I said, Trav, do you have a minute for a phone call? <laughs> wow, that's crazy. Right? And, <laughs> and um, yeah, anyways, uh, he, c- he couldn't believe it, right? And then it turned out my aunt, Kathy, who lives in Victoria, yeah. had been down at Peter's house like three years earlier and met everybody. And anyways, <laughs> so yeah, it was uh, my grandmother who was not, she passed away a couple, like a, six months after that happened. But it was, I got to tell her that the family and her sister's side of the family and we've reconnected and that was pretty special for her to Man. before she left but uh that's crazy isn't that crazy that's insane <laughs> <laughs> yeah it's crazy so um so yeah my journey with conduct you know is obviously all of those different pieces but i started you know working more from team by team right selling to teams and and then have grown uh and and it's been great because it, being part of an environment where there's so much growth and opportunity uh things don't stay the same right there's like hey we need to look into different verticals where our product has a fit. We need to grow, you know, where can we go? And so, you know, part of my role is from a business development perspective is, okay, where can we take the product? What relations can we build at the top level that can create larger, larger opportunities for our company as a whole? And, um, you know, as a big part, very fortunate to be a big part of our, you know, our league contracts that we've done and, you know, these different things and some of the different verticals we're pushing into now. And, you know, we have a whole new ownership group as well, which is great now. And I'm still have that role. And so now I'm looking at, okay, what do they bring combining the, the solutions and still pushing into these new markets like, you know, the connected worker, right? Like, you know, there's, there's, you know, so conduct software is about monitoring people, mm-hmm. right? In a high performance environment, but there's also other high performance environments where, you know, the performance of people is really important, right? Where maybe fatigue can play a role in how they perform, right? So we're looking at stuff in the, you know, offshore oil and gas or even into mining and where all, right. all of those people are in taxing environments where potential fatigue can play a significant role in how they perform. And to be honest, fatigue can play a critical role in 
poor decisions being made and accidents happening, right? So now we're looking at, okay, how do we apply there? And how do we do in, you know, healthcare? And like, we're building some products for healthcare with, you know, when, when we're looking at our more holistic view from, a, you know, kind of combining all the companies together and those types of things. So it's given me great opportunity to take the creativity of things that, uh, you know, Your just be creative, yeah. right? Different experiences. And because yeah. I did have my hands in a bunch of different things and, and then, you know, working through different solutions for those, uh, you know, to help solve these problems. Man, uh, you, uh, you're, yes. Dude, how old are you? <laughs> 44. Man, 44. Yeah, I feel like you're yeah. just the, uh, you, you had a great <laughs> little career at the beginning of your life. I shouldn't say little, you had a great football career. And I feel like you're almost just getting started with where your head is at. Like yeah. you, you just seems like you have a lot of ideas with things that, I guess moving forward. Yeah, so, thanks, Justin. Dude, this po- this, this podcast was incredible. This uh, it was a big learning experience for me, motivating for sure. I know for Jeff too. Yeah, thank you. Is yes, great yeah. pleasure to be here, boys. No. no, I I love what you guys are doing. I was saying on the way in, you know, I was seeing you guys out in the community, right? Catching the kids, grabbing kids, different events here and there, and posting about those things, and I think that's fantastic, right? Like, you, it's all about opportunity for the kids, right? And and you guys are you know out there grabbing some of these things and sharing it with the community, and um, absolutely love it. Love what you guys are doing in the, on the podcast front, and yeah, no, it's uh, it's a pleasure to be here and, and do what I can to help out. Yeah, you, you, are you, so you're living here, eh? Yeah, we you lived here. We moved bed? here three yeah. years ago. We moved here three years ago, and. Uh, yeah, my actually my mother in law is looking at some homes uh, oh, right. in different parts of the HRM right now. So I don't okay. think we're going anywhere anytime soon. We, you know, it uh, when we were looking at the potential shift of coming down here, it was our life in Toronto was we've got four kids. Our life was running from activity to activity in a hectic environment where there's a lot of traffic and a lot of stress. You move down here, you still are going to get your kids to your activities, but the there's going to be a lot less stress around you. There's a lot less traffic. So you have more time together, right? And that immediately we noticed that right away. We had more time as a family, more time to just connect. And, you know, five minutes in every way that I drive from my house, there's forest and lakes and ocean. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> or 10 minutes, right? Yeah. Which is unbelievable, right? And so you talk about forest bathing and having moments to just regenerate. I get that every day when I walk the dog, right? I love and, that. Uh, so, yeah, it, it's it's been great coming down here. And COVID put a wrinkle into it because the, the original plan was let's go east. Lots of people will come and visit us, and obviously that didn't happen with COVID. But uh, you know, we got a couple visitors early on, and now the gates are starting to open up again, and we're you know, family's starting to come down and visit. So, yeah. well, hey, I'm happy you're here. I I, I want to have you back on the podcast in like another six months and just see where your head's at, and see what you're doing, <laughs> and, and see how life is. I yes. appreciate you coming on. This was uh, I don't even how long was this episode? Man, this was a great hour and a half. I really do appreciate <laughs> it. I, I, it's great your kids are playing hockey, so I'm sure I'll see yes. you around the rinks every yeah, now and well, then. Yeah, well, look for you guys. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah. Weekend. Awesome. Wicked. Awesome. Yeah, we were BMO, RBC, all yeah, the different rinks. So wicked. Yeah, great to connect with you guys again. Pleasure. Thank you for having me on. Awesome. Everyone listening, thank you very much uh, for tuning in. I hope you learned something from this episode. I, I know I did for sure. Uh, it's Monday, so the beginning of the week. Work hard, have fun, and we're out. Peace. Like she's way
Kids will be alright. 